What's up and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod, your weekly look at what's going on in pop culture. My name is Patrick Sheehan and I'm with my co-host, where are his dragons? It's Dave Martinson. Dave, what's going on, man? Uh, I'm the three-eyed raven now. Oh. Well, this is going to be a very boring pod, so Dave's just going to remember all the really horrible times in my life, and we're going to go through them one by one in Thank you. monotone fashion. So we're obviously going to be talking Thrones, an electric episode last night, kind of a, a mishmash episode today, a lot of different stories we're going to get to, go towards some different topics than we usually talk about. Yep. Why don't we start, though? I saw you tweeting at Martin Swagger over the weekend about how you finished Glow, the Netflix series. What were your thoughts, Dave? Yeah, shout out Kanye. Did finish Glow. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think it's just a really enjoyable show. I didn't feel bad about binging it 10 episodes, 30 minutes, roughly each time. But it's, it's funny. It has a really good ensemble, and all the ensemble gets their moments, which I think is not as common as you think with ensemble cast, you know, lots of characters. And then, like, mm-hmm. the three stars really shine, uh, Alison Brie, Betty Gilpin, and Mark Maron especially. So it's just... Uh, yeah, Mark Maron's re- great. Yeah, it's just a really fun ride. So I definitely recommend that. It was a, definitely a great uh, summer release, similar to uh, Stranger Things last year, coming out of nowhere and catching people by surprise. Do you feel like this is a show that needed a second season? Uh, well, I don't think... Th- they actually haven't got a second season yet. Yeah, you don't don't need one, but it's so successful and it's so easy to do a second season that I think it's fine. You could kind of give or take it if it's just a standalone season in and of itself, but I think with how they kind of caught lightning in a bottle, so to speak, it makes so much sense to just make another quick season. Uh, see where it goes from there. Maybe it will be a show that they expand upon or not. I, I don't know if it'll be like the next Stranger Things for them, though. It wasn't a phenomenon that way. No, no, no. It's just a well-regarded show by fans and critics alike that came out of nowhere in the summer. That's all. However, Netflix did announce today, Monday, August 7th, they made their first acquisition of, uh, what, like, talent? I don't even know. I guess a producing company called Miller World, who have produced, what, comic books? Is that correct? Yeah, it's a, it's a comic book publisher. It's really just, like, the business side of Mark Miller, who was a, uh, the guy who made Kick-Ass, Kingsman, and Wanted, as well as uh, did a lot of writing for Marvel. So essentially what this means is Netflix isn't getting into the comic uh, book publishing game so much as they're just acquiring IP and characters and stuff and doing it. And this this means getting a comic book uh, house is kind of interesting. I think it's a smart play for them. You know, when people talk about comic books, I think a lot of the time they go to superheroes, which makes a lot of sense. That's a very traditional way, but... The Walking Dead was a comic book, like you mm-hmm. like you mentioned. I mean, Kick-Ass is a very non-traditional superhero story, and Kingsman is not a superhero story at all. I mean, I guess technically you could say that they're heroes because they do things that normal people can't do, but yeah. in a sense, I think you can really take the IP that's there and make a lot of really interesting stories. The Walking Dead, another comic book that I already mentioned, I don't remember. but Yeah, uh, yeah <laughs> you said like 30 seconds ago. <laughs> I was like, it's been a long day over here at uh, Casa de Sheehan. But, I mean, what, what, what's your take on their first acquisition being a comic book company? Yeah, it's just kind of uh, random, but I think this is kind of a smaller acquisition. But, yeah, it's smart. They're just trying to get, get more content, IP, you know, all those buzzwords. But getting closer to the creators, something that they've all the people that do TV with them always say that Netflix is really, uh, really great to work with. Even acquiring said creators' properties, I think it's just continuing their formula and staying the course that they've been doing so successfully. So it makes a lot of sense. 
Yeah, and I think if they can take a smaller company like this and make their IP into shows that are either critically acclaimed or draw a large audience, it's going to make them a lot more desirable for bigger companies, which I bet they're already in pre-negotiations with anyway. I can't imagine anyone at this point is saying, I don't want to work with Netflix. Right, exactly. Speaking of Netflix, something that Netflix doesn't do yet is 3D movies. And by the, the trends, based on an article by Hollywood Reporter, The Hollywood Reporter, they might not ever be doing 3D movies because they seem to be declining. Or are they? Dave, fill me in on the story. What did it, What should I be taking away from Oh, no, they're 100% declining. Yeah, so the Great Hollywood Reporter report uh, came out basically on, on the heels of a IMAX earnings call where IMAX basically said that they're going to be reducing their 3D movie slate, just, you know, releasing fewer 3D films simply. And, you know, the numbers really back this up. 2010, 21% of total box office revenue was from 3D ticket sales. That was uh, $2.2 billion. Last year, 2016, it was down to 14%. That was $1.6 billion. And that's despite last year being the all-time highest earning you know, gross revenue at the box office from ticket sales. So 3D is clearly in decline. And IMAX even stated that it was, much, it was largely due to audiences making it clear that they prefer 2D showings. I know you and I always generally prefer 2D as well. And if you're to blame or, you know, point a finger at why this has happened, because initially Hollywood was really into 3D because, you know, just it's more expensive tickets, simple as that. But the audience audiences grew sour when movies stopped being actually shot in 3D and were being converted after and, you know, pretty easy to see the product being not as good. So I think it's kind of just, you know, it is what it is at this point. I think we kind of saw it going this way, funny enough. There's actually more 3D movie screens outside of the country than here. 56% of movie screens yeah. are 3D globally, compared to 39% in the U.S. and Canada. I, I'm not too surprised at that. But uh, if you were to take a guess at how many movies released this year were shot in 3D as opposed to converted afterwards, how many do you think that would be? Maybe like, uh, no. I can't, not even that much? No, I mean, there was like maybe 15 total 3D movies, but only one of them was actually shot in 3D. And it wasn't wow. like it wasn't even like Valerian or something. It was Transformers Five, of all movies. Oh, interesting. Yeah, Mark Wahlberg. Right. And if you go to you know, just uh, for you, those of you listening at home, realorfake3d.com is a very simple website. It has a list of every 3D movie ever released uh, from you know 2010, basically when this started, and it says whether it was real 3D or you know fake 3D converted later. And if you look, you can see the trends where the majority of movies released that year were real. Now it's to the exact opposite, where the majority of them are actually converted afterwards, the cheaper method. So, as uh, IMAX said, audiences are kind of uh, making a decision with their wallet. And I think niche 3D films that are actually like exciting, like A Jungle Book last year, or when James Cameron eventually releases Avatar 2, those movies probably will attract people. And Favreau said he's going to do The Lion King in real 3D as well. So I think those will still do well, but I think a less, of, less is more approach for 3D is probably the best course and that seems to be what's going to happen what was the last movie you saw in 3d i actually saw wonder woman in 3d with my dad but that was only because of it was like the one we went to see was sold out and that was the closest ticket time and you know convenience thing i haven't actively sought out a 3d ticket and i can't even tell you to be honest what was that like did you feel like that added to your experience no of course not it, it, it was one that was converted later it was it was fine there was you know cool things but generally speaking it's not that much I did see Gravity in IMAX 3D, and that was actually awesome.
but again, again, that, that was, one shot in 3D. Yes, but that was also 2012. Yeah, it's been a while. Right. You know, first of all, it's kind of crazy to me that Gravity's five years old. <laughs> that feels very strange. But uh, the only movie I think I've ever seen in 3D was Jackass. Oh God, what was that? Jackass, like three. 3D. That came out yeah. in yeah 3D. Yeah, and it did not add much other than the fact that at one point it looked like a dildo was coming right at your face, which uh, I mean, it's a good novel for what it is. <laughs> I, I guess the thing is for me, I feel like I can I can get into the experience and enjoy a world without feeling like I'm actually immersed in it. If it's done well, it really can add to it. But it's not something I'm going to seek out because I can still get the story and get the 95% of the experience without actually feeling like I'm there for a lot cheaper than going to a 3D movie. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's kind of why the audiences have made this decision is that they were paying more for a product that, generally speaking, wasn't adding much to it because it was a simple you know, 3D post-conversion. So, yeah, I think this right, is... Right, like uh, paying for titles. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Oh yeah, higher uh, higher bit rates for your streams, kids. You're definitely gonna love it. Nah, it's fine. Uh, also, Gravity was 2013. My bad. So four years, big difference. Still pretty <laughs> crazy. Well, speaking of of I guess music in general, not not necessarily title. You could listen to these these on title, I guess. We we each listened to a couple of albums. Why don't I start? Nine Inch Nails. So when was the last time you listened to Nine Inch Nails, Dave? The Logan trailer. Hurt. Yeah, Johnny Cash cover, <laughs> which is probably one of the greatest covers of all time. But you know, it, it's interesting because Nine Inch Nails was a band that I thought hadn't really been doing a lot of music recently. I thought they had been on hi- and I knew that they had been on hiatus after their 2013 album. But something kind of slid under the radar, and that we missed talking about on the pod was they they dropped an EP back in December, late December. Uh, I think it was the 28th. It was called Not the Actual Facts. And it did okay, but it was their first EP in three years, and it was it had mediocre reception, kind of at a weird time of year, people weren't really tuned into it. So then when they dropped this one, and they're also headlining Panorama, they're headlining FYF Fest, or they, they did headline FYF Fest. This was a much bigger deal. They dropped an album, or not an album, a, a single that went along that was pretty, sounded like uh, a little bit more of a modern sound for, for Nine Inch Nails. So I was going to this album with high expectations, and it, it almost got there. It almost got there. Yeah. I, I thought I thought the songs overall were good. It was a 27-minute album, which I was like, yes, give me 27 minutes, perfect. But the first, yeah, the first four songs amount to 15 minutes of it, and the last song is 12 minutes long. <laughs> and the, the last song, which is a, it's a re, it's a pretty strong song in terms of concept basically talking about this it's called uh, the background world and it talks about how all these things going on in the background or like it's like this like it's almost like the upside down world in a way like all this horrible stuff is going on and the way Trent Reznor uses his voice when he sings the lyrics is all pretty interesting because he's singing regularly and then it's like a muffled sound when he sings like like the refrain so it actually sounds like he's in like a different world so to speak but then the last seven minutes are just mm-hmm. this like choppy guitar drum beat that kind of fades out every time and becomes a little bit more crackled and less refined until it basically just sounds like a fire in a way, like things just like burning or like bad static. It was a little too long. I could have used like three minutes of the static and gotten the point, you know? <laughs> but uh, I guess like they, they have that same guitar lick and drum beat happen over 50 times in a row. And I was just like, when is this thing over? But overall, I thought the album, it was short, pretty concise. I thought the songs were all pretty good. 
classic Nine Inch Nails. So I would recommend any rock band just to give it a listen. I mean, it's 27 minutes of your life. Just when you're going to work, throw it on real quick. Fair enough. Well, what's your favorite Nine Inch Nails song? Do you know any other than Hurt? Really? Nope. You, you should check them out. You might you might not hate them. Trent Reznor, he's an interesting dude. Yeah. No, uh, didn't they uh, headline Made in America? One of the few first few Made in Americas, right? Festivals. Yeah, yeah probably. Yeah, probably two years ago. I, I think he was. Uh, he was on this like production, uh, this like music streaming production with Dr. Dre called Daisy. He was like the creative chief or something like that on it, Reznor. And then uh, he also did the soundtrack for what Social Network. He was doing like a lot of like just different solo stuff for a while. He did the title music for Black Ops Two, I think. So he's been doing yeah. some interesting work. Glad to have him back. <laughs> Tell me about your stuff, this dude, cool. Ugly God. Is that even a real person? I swear you said his name already on the pod. Yeah, Ugly God was one of the uh, XXL freshmen I hadn't predicted, and he just released his debut mixtape, The Booty Tape, last Friday. And it's a really short mixtape. It's like 20-something minutes, which is great. Over 10, it's welcome. And it's really fun. I think Ugly God has a really infectious, like easy-flowing, easy-to-listen-to flow, much like uh, our good friends Migos. Migos. And if I had to point out two songs i think uh, no lies with khalifa just is, is just a really good song really flows i was most impressed by his uh, lead single from the tape called fuck ugly god he made a awesome diss track about himself and it's a banger and it's also hilarious and you can check that out on, on youtube if you want so it's he be rabbited him yeah I, I rewatched. uh so i'm uh, pleasantly surprised i, I rewatched eight mile this weekend I, I was texting you about it michael shannon's in that i was like so taken aback by yeah like I, I i hadn't that was not committed to memory that's probably something like i read on wikipedia like every few months when i go to michael chan's page i'm like oh he's an eight mile weird let me go also like yeah, anthony mackie is papa doc <laughs> the, like the i was i did know when that. i saw i was like yes. yo young anthony mackie that yeah. was fucking awesome uh, yeah and yeah. I, it was also fun making julianne's parents who hate rap music and just rap culture in general make them watch that movie with me and i was like oh this is like the best part this is where he like he takes away everything that they can say about them and they like did not understand it at all huh they, they didn't immediately latch on because he was a white guy because lots of middle america did that with eminem they years were ago. they were definitely behind him for that i'll put it that way but they i don't know they they're they're good they're good folks shout out the the derbies i like them so who was the other album that you listened to other than ugly god yeah it was asap 12 debut project debut album 12 and yeah this is funny because when asap yams died you know he's like the creative visionary guy who kept it all together for the asap mob as well as one of the founders everyone always said that he had like the master plan for everyone in the group like he had a notebook with like everyone's plans and notes and who they should work with and what they should do next and the reason I'm bringing that up is because asap 12 e as well as that mass they haven't actually released uh, solo projects officially and so it's finally getting 12E's album to finally come out is actually kind of a big deal. And it's, it's totally uh, totally solid. You know, he's kind of, like, his reputation in ASAP Mob is he's just, like, the competent rapper guy in the crew. Whereas, like, ASAP Rocky's the star. ASAP Ferg is, like, the star on the streets. Nast has, like, those, like, low-key fire bars, but no one, everyone sleeps on him. And ASAP Ants is trash. But 12E is just, you know, really, really solid. And this album is exactly that. It's solid. There's a Flatbush Zombies feature, Joey Badass feature, obviously Rocky's on there. So yeah, it's it's totally uh, totally solid. Definitely uh, jump around there if you're interested in that Beast Coast sound. 
more interestingly enough, though, is that ASAP Ferg has an album coming out, or a mixtape coming out on the 18th, and then ASAP Mob is dropping Cozy Boys Volume 2 at the end of the month. So three ASAP projects this month. Interesting. It should be fun. What are, like, like the rap groups out there right now? Like, I feel like, like there's Odd Future. Well, Odd Future is defunct. They're all, like, doing solo stuff. So it's, what, just ASAP Mob? Yeah, uh, well, it, I think it's, like, smaller, like, duos, like Ray Shremmer, Underachievers. Shout out Ray Shremmer. Migos is a trio, obviously. And then, like, Good Music, MMG, Maybach Music Group. Like, those are, like, label groups. They're not really groups. They're just kind of, like, organizations of talent. You know, they kind of ride together. Obviously, they go up and down, too, you know, with Buzz and whatnot. Obviously, Good Music peaked probably as a, as a group in, like, 2012, 13, when Cruel Summer came out. Uh, and MMG's obviously been in decline for a while now ever since meek mill self and grace and rip ross stopped releasing good albums but yeah other than that i mean like you can think of like black hippie is technically the name of the group that kendrick schoolboy j-rock and absol are in within tde which is like their label but black hippie doesn't release much music and when they do it's usually just collaborations on other on you know like one of their songs or doing remixes with each other so they're there that's like the fabled album everyone always wants is the black hippie project but yeah, there aren't there aren't that many groups. Uh, Brockhampton, I want to shout them out. Uh, Kevin Abstract is a lead from that. They're really cool because they're like they call themselves a boy band, not a rap group, because they have a very unique sound. They're actually really awesome. Their album Saturation this year is great. But yeah, groups are are not that common. Uh, you know, think about how you have to market yourself these days. Uh, it's all about the personal star, right? So, uh, guys might come up together and loosely affiliate each other and hang out and and work all the time, like uh xxx and ski masks but they're not actually in the group they're just you know friends so yeah groups are not that popular and odd future uh you know splitting up uh remain friends but you know not working together just splitting up just kind of makes sense guys don't want to be in a group forever that's kind of sad i feel like groups were a huge part of they were a huge part of rap heyday but modern times not so much speaking of modern times game of thrones last night dave maybe not maybe not the best episode of tv you'll see this week because the the bachelorette is wrapping up tonight shout out the bachelorette we will be discussing that next week our girl who's Rachel. gonna win uh probably brian this season sucked. jimmy dean but we'll yeah i heard it sucked well we're gonna we're gonna talk more about it next next week on nostalgia pod and if you want to listen to our older episodes soundcloud.com slash nostalgia pod give us a rating review on itunes and subscribe on youtube anyways game of thrones last night you know interesting I don't remember what the name of the episode was because when I watched it on HBO Go, all it said was Game of Thrones 62. And I was like, or 64, 64. Shout out my boy Andy Cortez on Twitter, at Maximum Cortez, video editor for Kind of Funny. He tweeted out, yo, only 90s kids remember this N64 game. <laughs> Very clever, <laughs> I like that. But I think this was probably my favorite episode of the season so far. Yeah, no, I I, I think the, like, the sequence at the end, obviously, is what everyone's talking about. And that's up there with the top sure. for all of the Thrones epic, you know, seasons or scenes, right? No no doubt about that. I think the episode overall was, like, really, really good, too. But I don't know if it's, like, an elite episode for me the way others are, like, a hard home. You know, it's early, whatever, I just watched it. Who cares? Yeah, no, it was uh, It was called Spoils of War was the actual oh, right. title, which is, you know, really just uh, about them taking the Tyrell gold, which really didn't matter yeah. quickly. So You know, I think... In terms of like putting it in like the top ten, top uh, top five, it's hard to say with it being so recent. But there was just so much payoff to this, you know. Like you, you finally see Sansa and Arya reunite, 
you get the and brand yeah and brand it's it's hard to like remember brand's part of this because I, I feel like he's been so disjointed in his story and now he's like so i'm the three-eyed raisin right <laughs> chaos is a ladder yeah well, that, that was actually pretty interesting that was cool shout out little finger he's definitely feeling the heat right now but uh, th- then like the, the scene between brianne and Arya when they were fighting with the sword that was awesome and you saw so many callbacks to little things like at one point brianne comes at Arya over the top and she moves to the side like like the waif would move to the side and there's another part where she's like dancing around their sword like uh the what's his name the sword dancer syria yeah syria for yeah. yeah so just so many little one. things in there and then when and they asked her how she fights and she said no one or how she learned how to fight and she said no mm-hmm. one i was like oh this is like there's so yeah. many little things that if you've been following the show and you've been invested and paying attention that you really are enjoying it to this day yeah i think that that's kind of how i've been thinking about it and i was really thinking about this a lot uh, today regarding the episode too as uh, this season is such a quickened pace there's so much plot and almost everything we see on screen is directly servicing the plot whether it's the actual plot happening characters talking about moving the plot or character reunions right there hasn't been a whole lot of of that you know like that's like i liked that ed sheeran scene you know take ed sheeran out of it what was that scene that was humanization of the lannister soldiers you know when Arya was just shooting the shit with them on the road that was cool and a lot of great scenes throughout the years have come on the road in the show. And now we don't get any on the road scenes. We just get point A's and point B's, which is fine. I, li- I like, obviously, I like seeing the payoff, I like seeing the plots, I like seeing the fan service. But at the same time, that's kind of like the sacrifice they've made. And also, shout out the dire wolves going away to uh, save money. Uh, we saw why. Yeah. Because I guarantee that was the most expensive uh, CGI shoot right there. Oh. That was so, so much Drogon. <laughs> I mean, not, not only. Not only that scene, but then you had the two dragons flying over the water while, you know, Danny is talking to John about what she should do battle like uh, strategy wise. But yeah, I mean, seeing Drogon fuck shit up, uh, I actually felt it was interesting. So, friend of the pod, Sean McKenna, asked me on Saturday, "Is there anybody that is this favorite character is someone that's not John, Danny, Tyrion, or Arya at this point?" And I was like, "I guess like you might be able to like ride for the Lannisters in some way." But it's J- Jamie or the Hound, like fan favorite people. Right. But the narrative is constructed around the four people you mentioned. Exactly. And I found myself rooting so hard for Jamie not to die last night. And I was so pumped when he got knocked off the horse. Although, I don't know how he's going to survive. He was down pretty far. And that was actually one gripe. Like, amazing episode, right? It was also like a sh- like only 50 minute long episode, too. And then I was like, why did you do a stupid fake out at the end? Like in the in like the the plot, it makes sense. Like yeah, you got knocked off the horse, he's sinking in his heavy armor. I get it, but it's annoying because it's some Walking Dead shit. Because you know Jamie Lannister isn't dying by drowning next episode. That's just not not gonna happen. So I just don't like that. That's how they left it. I don't like that kind of fade to black. I just think it's a little sloppy. And Benioff and Weiss usually don't do that sort of thing. So I don't know. It, it's a nitpick, but it, it did annoy me as like a TV making decision. I read a, I read a spoiler where at the beginning of next episode, it's just Danny walking around with a baseball bat. With the, and she's picking which Lancer people she just wants to beat their brains out. Yeah, I mean, at least Benioff and Weiss didn't end the season this way, so they actually do know that they want Jamie to live. Props, I guess. Also, the no Syndergaard cameo is actually really funny to me now, because I noticed him in the shot, because he was so much taller than all the other Lancer soldiers. Oh. I'm like, that guy is oddly out of place. I didn't notice that. <laughs> like, 
Yeah, oh yeah, no. I, I, I as soon as I like looked it up, I was like, oh yeah, I saw that guy. He was like a head and a half taller than all the guys he was in rank and file next to. You couldn't really tell it was him because of the, the the weird helmets that cover most of their face. But shout out Syndergaard. I hope he uh, heals up. It was a much better cameo than Ed Sheeran for sure. Any last thoughts on this? I mean, there there were a lot of moments that were, I think, emotional in this one. Like when uh, the Dothraki guy said to Tyrion, your people can't fight. Or like the ending scene before Jamie gets knocked off, how Tyrion's like, you idiot, you idiot. Like, it, there was just a lot of things, I think, that were touching. And also, I mean, the, the stuff in the cave, very interesting scene. A lot of sexual tension. Aunt and nephew, probably going to get it on. Yeah, it's family way you know just gotta do it the way the targaryens always have think things went wrong like half the time but whatever uh, it was cool seeing bron use the scorpion to wound drogon you know obviously call back to they you know reveal that they were kyber was making kyber you know early in the season kyber but um it's called back to Maraxes, the uh dragon of uh visenya uh aegon's uh sister uh, wife who got shot in the eye uh, over Dorne, so Jimmy and Bronn can go back to uh, King's Landing and say, "Hey, make a fuck ton of these crossbows." I think a dragon's definitely gonna die at some point. Probably not Drogon. <laughs> yeah, nah, it's gonna be. It's not gonna be Rhaegal. Uh, is that Rhaegal? Yeah, it won't be Rhaegal because that's obviously John's guy, right? Because of the name. So Viserion, because uh, no one likes Viserion. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it, just to like make some actual stakes for the final season, because if it's just dragons flying over and burning white walkers it's a very anticlimactic ending but i think the war for the lancers has to be over at this point you know like unless they had already made more danny could just march right on king's landing you know right yeah i mean like, euron assumingly will come back to king's landing for to, to help but it's really just euron and uh around king's landing the the reach is back under danny's control so uh, unless the iron bank Helps out. They, there was a name drop of the Golden Company, the best sellsword company in Essos. Uh, you hear about them in the books a lot, so maybe they'll be showing up to help Danny. Yeah, we'll see. It, it seems like uh, John's probably ready to head back north because there's only three episodes left, and we got to see all that crazy shit beyond the wall from the trailer. I know th- this is the midpoint of the season. It's crazy. Only three more weeks. Only yeah. what six more episodes? Oh, after we yeah, have. Three, three this this season, and then six for the final. They so said, nine. of course, they're like they're like super length, right? You know, so whatever. But yeah, it's uh, it's crazy. Interesting. Well, well, we'll definitely continue to talk Thrones and a lot of other stuff. Uh, Mr. Robot dropped a trailer this weekend. Looks awesome. It's gonna be interesting to see how they move forward now that Elliot is so aware of his split personality with Mr. Robot and how that goes. Got Bobby Cannavale in the fold yeah. now. Yeah. Which is good. That, uh, what was that rock show he was on? Vinyl. Vinyl. Oh. <laughs> Bobby Cannavale <laughs> on vinyl. That, that show was a huge disappointment. But yeah, give it, send all your thoughts at NostalgiaPod on Twitter. Tweet at myself, at Peace, and as I said before, at Martin Swagger for my man Dave. Subscribe on iTunes. Rate and review on iTunes. Subscribe on YouTube. I'm pointing Please. somewhere right there. And yeah, share us with a friend. Help us grow and give us feedback how we can make something more enjoyable to tickle your ears. I don't know. Any, any last thoughts uh, for today, Dave? Yes. Last note. Wind River came out last Friday in only four theaters. This is the d- directorial debut from Taylor Sheridan, the writer of Sicario and Hell or High Water. He wrote this movie and it's his first job in the directing chair. 
stars Jeremy Renner and Elizabeth Olsen about violence against women on the Native American reservation in Wyoming. And I'm excited as hell to see this once it finally goes to expand and release and actually is in some theaters. So if you can catch Wind River, definitely check it out. If you haven't uh, bought Renner stock really yet, good. buy Renner stock. Also, just became aware of this recently, film also coming out, coming out this Friday. It's called Good Time from A24, starring Robert Pattinson, Barkhad Ali, who is Captain Phillips' uh, I'm the Captain Now guy, as well as uh, Jennifer Jason Leigh. And this is a crime drama film from the Safdie brothers, who are a pair of independent filmmakers from New York City. And this movie is getting great reviews. It was selected to compete in the Palme d'Or at a Cannes Music Festival earlier this year. And everyone's saying it's Robert Pattinson's best uh, career work. So I definitely want to check that out as well. So two smaller non-blockbusters that you should try and catch if they're showing around you. Good recommendations. We'll also be talking about those on the pod as we're able to watch them, given the fact that Albany doesn't get a lot of these. And Boston, you can probably find a theater that will have them. Yeah, we'll see. So uh, we'll be catching up on a lot of stuff next week. Probably some music, some TV. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, Catch those albums out Friday. We'll probably give that a listen. Can't wait. But anyways, until then, tweet at us at, at NostalgiaPod. Subscribe on, on iTunes and YouTube. And we love you. Peace out.